Okay, we're in Matthew 27. We're going to take um, this week and then probably next we'll, we'll wait on our series in Matthew and just focus on Celebration Sunday and then Friend Day. Although, uh, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a direction for Friend Day right now and, and headed that direction. Um, and uh, pre- it'll be on the cross, but it'll be out of Luke. Now, I mean, we're right here at the cross. So it'd be very easy just to go right into that. So I'm going to keep praying, but... Um, Right now, I've got the sermon title. Just got to work on the sermon. Uh, between two destinies, between two destinies, the two destinies, two the two thieves on the cross. Uh, one went to heaven, one went to hell, and between those two destinies was a loving Savior that would save both. So, anyways, that's what I've got cooking right now. We'll see what happens between now and two weeks. All right, Matthew twenty-seven, verse eleven, Matthew twenty-seven. Verse number 11, our text actually will begin in verse 15, but let's review here a little bit as we get started. And Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he, Jesus, answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word. Insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now, At the feast, at that feast, I'm sorry, the governor was wont, or was accustomed to, was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, notice this, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders, notice this, persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. We'll read that again. Ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain, whether of the two, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Would you think about that this morning? What shall I do then? What shall you do with Jesus that is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. 
And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. In other words, it's your responsibility. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. So then verse 26 says, then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The title of the message here this morning is your, your judgment of Jesus, your judgment. Pilate rendered his judgment. The chief priests rendered their judgment. The multitudes rendered their judgment. What's your judgment? Your judgment of Jesus. There's no way to evade the biggest decision of your life. There's no way to sidestep. There's no way to evade. You can't evade this. You've got to make a decision. In fact, you will make a decision today. You say, how do you know I'll make a decision? You will. You've already, many of you already made a decision. But there's a way this plays into every one of our lives every single day. We look at that here this morning. The biggest decision of your life. May God bless the reading of his word. We've prayed. We've asked the Lord to help. I'm going to trust his word will do the work that he's intended for it to do. <clears throat> I'm sure we could spend quite a bit of time on this, but it is true that life, um, life is filled with many tough decisions, many tough decisions. And I, I don't want to get into the nature of those decisions as much as what makes some of those decisions so tough is not the content of the decision, but the outside pressure that's on those decisions. Uh, probably in your mind right now is two words, peer pressure. And we relegate that in our minds to teens, but you dealt with it this morning. You've dealt with it in your life. We all deal with it. I'm dealing with it right now. What will you think of this message? What do you think of this church? When people come and they, they visit here for the first time, oh, we, we want you to like it. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to come back. Maybe you've already decided I'm not. Would you give a reconsideration? <laughs> no, we're, we're concerned about what people think. Uh, if, if, you, if you say, I don't care what people, uh, you're not being honest. I don't care what people think. Well, you care what people think. You want people to think you don't care what people think. Everybody get that? And does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, we all care from, from the littlest kid to the junior high. Now it's on in junior high. And it's on in high school. And they're concerned about what other people think about their shoes. I mean, come on. I remember those days and being concerned about, you know, what brand of shoe you were going to wear. I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, Jordans came out and they weren't retro then. They were like, new. Right. And 
Reebok pumps, and but you know, uh, man, whoa, is the junior high kid wearing pro wings, right? <laughs> Come on, I'm dating myself right there. We care, you know, you care about what people think about what you wear and what brand of clothes you wear and what kind of car you drive and, and all those things. I mean, it's in us. I mean, we, we're consumed sometimes with it and the, the pressure there. And, and you learn very quickly, very quickly in leadership or in life and in marriage and raising children and having in-laws, you can't please everybody. Some of you got a big decision coming up. It's about holiday time. Who, uh, where are we going to spend the holidays? Well, you learn in a hurry. You can't please everybody. I realized uh, just yesterday, oh no, I've got, I've got an odd number of days at home scheduled for our vacation in December. So I quickly realized that I have an extra day off or so. So now we got four nights at one house, four nights at another house. You say that's people pleasing. That's just wise. It's just wisdom. I mean, we, we face it in large and small ways, serious and non-serious ways. The pressure, what will other people think? We kind of shape what we do sometimes by what people will say about something. I, there's an old fable that I came across in, in just uh, in considering this, and, and maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. I think that I had heard of it and but, but had forgotten the content of it, but it's about an elderly man and a young child who's walking with a donkey. They come into one village and the man is leading the donkey and the young child is, is walking behind. And so that, that, um, that first city criticized him for not riding the donkey. So he got on the donkey and he rode it to the next town. He got to the next town and they criticized him for not letting the boy ride the donkey. So the next town, they got the little boy on the donkey and he rode the donkey in. In the next town, they criticized the little boy for riding the donkey and not letting the man ride the donkey. And then they said, why don't you both ride the donkey? So they got on the donkey, both of them. So they came to the last town and they criticized them for, for being so cruel to that donkey, both of them riding that donkey. So last time the man was seen, he was carrying the donkey. So anyways, I mean, it's, what are you going to do? You just can't please everybody. Uh, I was reminded of this study and I came back across it that um, uh, a group of psychologists, they were studying this matter of peer pressure and how it affects children and how it affects adolescents. And so what they did is they, con they uh, constructed this study where they had on a chart three lines, one really long line, one um, line that was obviously shorter than that top line and then a short line. So what they did is they brought in 10, 10 teenagers at a time. Nine of them, nine of them, they told, listen, we know that this top line is the longest line. It's obvious. But we want all of you nine to say that the second line is the longest line. Now, one man didn't know that. One young man didn't know that they'd all agreed amongst themselves to say line number two is the longest. So he comes in, gets a seat, and the instructor says, okay, now, which of these three lines is the longest? Line number one, how many of you say that? Nobody's hand went up. Or maybe his did, and then he's going to put it up another time. And, and so then the second, the second line, how many of you say the second line? Nine of them raised their hands. And the guy looked around and like with a look of confusion, like, are you serious? But the next thing you know, 75% of the time, that one individual said, yep. You know what that is right there? Pressure. 
And the psychologist that did this study, they, they, she said this. She said, some people had rather be the president than be right. <laughs> now, I know that doesn't always work, but that's what she said. In other words, they want to please the people around them and stay in their approval so much so that even though they know that that top line is the longest, to stay in with the crowd, they're going to go right along. Pilate is doing exactly that. He'd rather, listen this morning, he'd rather stay governor than do what's right. So in this text here, we're, we're seeing that, that really a Pilate is trying to get away from that decision. But I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, every decision that Pilate made forced him to make another decision until he was the prisoner of his own evasions. Whether you realize it or not this morning, you are in a similar situation on a regular basis. Will you do what is right or will you try to fit in with others? What will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. I think we need to understand what's going on here in the text. I think we need to understand some of the historical situation so that we can see why would a governor be so swayed by a group of religious leaders? And why would a multitude who just a few days ago, at least some in that midst, were hearing or saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But now the crowd is crucified out, crying out rather, crucify him, crucify him. How can you swing from one, one extreme to the other? Pilate was under an immense amount of pressure. Uh, things were already kind of uh, uh, shaky with him and the Jews. He is the governor of that region. So you, you have uh, Rome that's in charge and, and yet he's a, a leader in that specific area. And basically he's got one job. Keep everything status quo. Keep uh, everything just calm. Well, this was a Jewish holiday. This was the Passover. So many Jews had come into the city. There are Roman soldiers that are there and they're basically trying to keep the peace. It's, listen, it's five o'clock in the morning. It's about five o'clock in the morning. Pilate, I would imagine, was asleep and the Jewish leaders wake him up to have a very quick court. They go to the praetorium and in fact, the Jews are so religious that they won't even go into the court. They stand outside because they don't want to be contaminated by going into the presence of a Gentile because it's Passover time. How hypocritical that they were concerned about ceremonial purity and they're about to commit murder. And so they come to Pilate about five o'clock in the morning. And, and so he comes and he stands and speaks to them from a, a platform that is there and they're seeking the death sentence on Jesus. They want Pilate to carry it out. They want Rome to carry it out. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that they would not do it themselves. In fact, um, a few weeks later, they're going to stone Stephen. Uh, they, Paul, Saul at the time, was, was going about and killing Christians. So even though they said to Pilate, hey, listen, we're not authorized to do that, they did plenty of it. Here's actually what they wanted to do. 
they, are you listening to this this morning? Is this making sense so far? They wanted Pilate and Rome to do their dirty work because the people, he was popular, Jesus was popular with the people. And if they crucified him, or rather they couldn't crucify him, but if they, if they stoned him, which by the way, if you remember in our study of Matthew and other places here in the gospels, there were times that they took up stones to stone him. So they weren't above that. It wasn't like they hadn't thought about that. In fact, they had endeavored to do that on different occasions and he, he got out of their midst. But right here, they knew full well that if we kill him, it would be against the people and we don't want him to die as a religious leader. We want him to die as a political figure. So they come before Pilate, the one who has jurisdiction in that area. Pilate, as I've already mentioned, has already been on shaky grounds with the Jews. There's some things that, that he has done. By the way, Pilate existed. There's, uh, there's some that were, this is ironic. I got to throw this in here because we got to go to Caesarea Maritima and, and there is the Pilate stone. There, there are many that criticized Josephus, the Jewish historian, and the New Testament for referencing Pilate, but they couldn't find other historical evidence that Pilate existed until in 1961, they found a pillar that was engraved from Pilate to Tiberius and thus the Bible, I'm sorry, archaeology caught back up to the Bible again because he did exist and Jesus stood before him. So here he is before uh, Pilate and, and Pilate didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like Pilate. Here's why some of the reasons uh, uh, that I found as he was coming into power, most Roman uh, governors would have the soldiers to take their flags down and their banners down as they came into Jerusalem, the holy city, because they would have an emblem of Rome or an emblem of the emperor, not Pilate. Pilate kept the flag flying. And that irritated the Jews because the Jews would refer to the emblem of, uh, of the emperor as idolatry. And so uh, he was really just forced to do so, to take the flag down because he got some pressure from Rome. I'm just trying to show you, this, this decision was not made in a vacuum here. There was a lot of pressure that was leading up to it. So that's one instance. In another instance, he had shields that, were, that also had the, the emperor's emblem. I evidently he's trying to get in good with the emperor. And he had the emperor's emblem on the shields and that again infuriated the, the Jews. Tiberius was flattered, but he said, Pilate, you got to take him down. So he took him down. This next one is actually may have reference to Luke 13, where Pilate killed some of the Jews. And I'll tell you as to why he did, uh, most likely. He got into the treasury fund to build an aqueduct, the Jewish funds. He got into their money. Well, that infuriated the priest because he's using their money and they protested. So in their protest, Pilate had some of the Roman soldiers dress up as though civilians and they went among some of the people and they killed some of those, some of those Jewish people. And so you got all this going on. So here's the deal. Okay, look, if, Ty, if, if Jesus is guilty of what they accuse him of, namely insurrection, like an overthrow or revolt in Rome, and Pilate takes that too lightly, he's in trouble with Rome. If he takes it too seriously, and he doesn't really give this a good hearing, then he's in trouble with Rome. Either way, he's in trouble with Rome. He's already in trouble with the Jews. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. Are you following me? Yeah. This is Pilate. So they're putting pressure on him. 
And, and Pilate is trying to get down to this. He's trying to say, art thou the king of the Jews? No doubt Pilate had heard about Jesus. He probably had heard about the triumphant entry where his fortress was, would have been very close to that. He would have heard the uproar in the city. He would have heard about Jesus healing people. He would have heard about maybe even Jesus just a, about a week prior raising Lazarus from the dead. I believe Pilate knew about Jesus. It may even be that Pilate and his wife had discussions about Jesus as, as uh, things were unfolding here. And, and so it was bothering even her as to what was going on. So anyways, Pilate was doing everything he could to get out of this because listen, he knew, he knew that these Jews didn't really, he, he knew that they did not believe that he was a political leader. He knew that they were using him. That's what's really going on. And Pilate saw right through what they were doing. So in a political move, he knows the custom, that it was their custom to kind of appease and please the people, that he would offer up the opportunity to release one of their prisoners. In this case, they brought in a man named Barabbas. Barabbas was a notorious murderer. He was there for murder. He was there for insurrection, the Bible says in another part. He was a rebel leader. Uh, he was a danger to Rome, a definite threat. He'd already killed an individual. I believe he was also probably a threat to his own people. Barabbas. Barabbas is an interesting name. Bar Abbas, Abba, Abba father. So Bar is son of, so son of a father. So the idea is, here's, here's on one hand Barabbas, son of a father. Here's Jesus, son of the father. A choice between these two. Pilate is trying to get out of this. He's trying to evade responsibility here. And he's thinking this. He's thinking, surely the Jewish people would say, please release our Messiah. He's counting on it. So he is in deliberation about that. But if you notice in your Bible reading, then the Jews, they stirred up the people. They, they, they uh, were persuading the crowd. In fact, one man, Leon Moore, said this, the crowd was not left to make up its mind by itself. In fact, he said, the crowd never is. There are those that want to manipulate the crowd. The propaganda, the effort to get the crowd to go along with whatever their position is. And so that's what's taking place at this same time in verse number 19. Um, Pilate's wife has a dream. And I don't know if, you know, she tried to get back to sleep after he left and she had a dream. But this is very rare that she would send in a message to her husband while he's, while he's in the courtroom. And she says, please don't have anything to do with this man. I had a bad dream about him. So I don't know all that was going on there, but that certainly was what was taking place. And, and so now you have Pilate hoping that the people would say, release Jesus. And he brings Jesus before them and, and he brings Barabbas before them. And I would imagine that Barabbas woke up that day thinking, this is my last. Can you imagine what was going through his mind as he stood there? And, and maybe it very well was Barabbas' uh, crucifixion day. Pilate asked, whom will you that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus that is called Christ? And in unison, the people said, Barabbas, Barabbas. How sad. I mean, you, you think about, it. okay, wait a minute. You got to know what some of their accusations were. There were three, according to Luke chapter number 23 and verse number, verse number two. They accused Jesus of, of, um, of misleading the country, basically. They accused Jesus of not paying tribute to Caesar. 
which is ironic because Jesus had just paid taxes. He did so by fishing, but nonetheless, he paid, fish, he paid taxes. And Jesus had said this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So Jesus wasn't against, against Rome. In fact, he had just healed a Roman centurion's daughter. I mean, there's plenty of evidence here. In fact, hang on, if you need more evidence, I don't, I don't think that you do, but just this is good stuff. In fact, Jesus is the one who said, if a Roman soldier asks you to go a mile carrying his bag, you go too. Come on, uh, Chick-fil-A didn't come up with that second mile thing. It was Jesus who said that, go the second mile. And he was saying that you go the second mile for a Roman. And here they are accusing him of being against Rome. No, friend, he wasn't against Rome. He was there to help. He was there to save the Roman people. Now, he was a threat to Roman pride. And he was a threat to Roman selfishness. And he was a threat to Roman indulgence. But he was not a threat to the Roman kingdom. And that's why, that's why uh, as Pilate asked, asked Jesus, art thou a king? And Jesus says, thou sayest. But in John, John gives us a lot more information about this personal dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. And, Pilate, and Jesus makes it very clear that his kingdom is not of this earth. In other words, he's saying my kingdom is going to come, but it's not time for the kingdom. I was born to die, basically, Jesus is saying. God is in full charge. Who wilt thou that I release unto you? Barabbas, son of a father, or Jesus, son of the father? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said, what then shall I do with, with him that is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. In fact, the words that you would, would be overriding would be this, crucify him, crucify him. A mob chant. Pilate is out of options. He can't please Rome. In fact, the Jews say this, I believe it's in John. If, if, thou, if thou release not Jesus, if you release Jesus, you're not Caesar's friend. Come on, that's a junior high move right there. You're not Caesar's friend if you don't, do, man, you talk about some pressure. And so Pilate, makes the decision to see Jesus scourge, which will come to that. It basically means this. They would take those leather straps as maybe on a wooden handle and, and two soldiers, they would, they would tie him up and, and they would take turns beating him with those leather straps that had embedded either glass or stone. And, and some men even died just from the scourging alone, let alone the crucifixion. They would beat them and take turns hitting them over and over again. And, and so they had Jesus scourge and Barabbas went free. Can you imagine Barabbas standing there and suddenly he realizes he is taking my place, literally. But I tell you this morning, Jesus died for more than just Barabbas. He didn't just die in his place. He died in your place. Barabbas went free. Jesus went to the cross. You and I should have went to the cross and yet he took our place. Pilate's decision here leads to the crucifixion of, of Jesus. And yet he does one more thing. He, he tries to he evade the responsibility of this and he takes a Jewish custom. 
rooted in Deuteronomy 21, he takes this Jewish custom and he takes the water and, and, and dips his hands in it or they pour it over his hands and he's washing himself clean of this decision and responsibility of the blood of Jesus. In other words, it's symbolically saying this, his blood is not on my hands. And the people surprisingly say, his blood be on us and our children. It's astounding. Pilate was trying to evade the decision. Pilate was trying to please the people. He was trying to please Rome. He didn't really want to please the Jews. He didn't even like the Jews. He didn't believe Jesus was, was guilty of anything that would, would recall for crucifixion. In fact, at least 40 different times before that crowd, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. It's in Roman record. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And to this very day, I say to you, my friend, there is no fault in him. There is no sin in him. There's no reason he should have died on that old rugged cross except for his love for you and for me. Pilate failed to do the right thing. By the way, hang on, wait just a minute. You say, well, he had to do that. He had no other choice. No, actually, the choice was completely his. Even though the Jews didn't like it, even if the Romans, whatever Rome would have said, he, it was his choice. Listen, you may have others that put pressure on you. They may counsel you. But ultimately, the decisions that you make are your decisions. Pilate made his decision and he chose to let the people do what the people wanted. And he did the wrong thing because he was listening to the wrong people. You miss the opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior if you're trying to evade that decision. I want to say to you this morning, you can't sidestep that decision, friend. If you're here and you're not saved, Brother Gary prayed just a moment ago. He prayed for those that don't know for sure that they're saved, that they might be saved, and even prayed it this way. There may just be one here, there may be many, and you may be the only one here this morning, and you know, you know in your heart of hearts tonight, this morning rather, when you peel your head tonight, if you can make it that far, you're concerned because you don't know about where you're going to spend eternity. Hey, listen, friend, God doesn't want you to go through life like that. Jesus died in your place. And you might say, but, but if I make this decision, I've got so much to lose. Hey, listen, friend, if you don't trust him as your savior, you've lost it all. You can't put that decision off. You can't keep evading it. You can't keep sidestepping it. You can't keep dismissing the conviction that comes to you week after week after week after week after week. Hey, listen, just know he cares about you and he died in your place, friend. You're making a decision. You say, well, what will other people think? Hey, listen, no, what? What other people think about it? What if I've been a member of this church a long time? That doesn't matter. What matters is your soul and where you're going to spend eternity, friend. That's what really matters. You're a sinner and you need a savior. And he's not a sinner and he is the savior and he'll save you today. You say, but, but I had my hope in my heritage or in my baptism or in my religious background. Hey, listen, you've got to be willing to forsake all that and trust him and him alone. Don't let the pressure, a religious pressure or the pressure of cultural pressure to cause you to, to lose and, and to die and going out into eternity without Christ. But what will my parents say? What will my grandparents say? What will my family think? What will my friends think? Hey, listen, what matters most is what does God think? 
Can I get right down to it here this morning? Pilate was evading that decision and Pilate was trying to please the people because really, Pilate was living for none other than himself. And if you're pleasing the wrong people, the bottom line on that is really, you're trying to please yourself. If you're pleasing the wrong people, you're living for the wrong person. Pilate was living for himself. You can't avoid this. You can't escape it. If you need to be saved, I urge you this morning to trust him as your savior. I want to make some application to the believers right here. Because as we already said early in the message, you and I can be people pleasers. Some of you maybe have some things of your past that you need to get away from, but you've got some old friends coming your way. Hey, listen, those old friends, they're putting pressure on you. Maybe they even criticize you for being in church on a Sunday and they think that you've lost your mind. Hey, listen, no, actually you found it. You came to yourself. You're thinking clearly right here, friend. And don't let those old friends pressure you to go back to what you came from. Do, would you please just think about what you came from and, and, and the guilt and the shame that's associated with that and yet that pressure that can come back on you in a hurry. There's people still in drugs and alcohol today because they're concerned about what other people think and the pressure that's on them. You do the wrong thing when you're pleasing the wrong people. You're a single individual here today and secretly doing things you know you shouldn't. And you're saying, well, it's just because we love each other. No, there's some pressure there that's not godly pressure. And you may be given into it, but if you're, if you're given into that and it's wrong and it's not right before God and you know it, hey, don't you know Pilate stood there knowing what was even right? It wasn't like he cared about Jesus. It wasn't like he cared about righteousness, but he knew what was right. And there, there's some here today that you know what's right and wrong in terms of the entertainment that you're involved in, the crowd. Maybe you talk one way while you're around a certain group of people at church, but you talk a totally different way when you're at work. You say, well... Man, it's just there's a lot of pressure there. Hey, I get it. I understand that. But you've got to do the right thing, regardless of who you're around. Don't raise your hand with a crowd that's saying, yeah, that second line is the longest one. You know full well in your mind, it's the top line. But there's a lot of pressure to accept society's ideas about morality. Some of you are facing that in a real way in the corporations. And there's a mantra and there's a, there's a dialogue and a, and a storyline that you're supposed to go along with. And there's a lot of pressure to fit into that. But listen, you know what the Bible says and you know what's right. We shouldn't cave into the pressure that is there. Because if you cave into that and you're doing the wrong thing, then you're listening to the wrong person. In fact, you're trying to please the wrong person. That'd be yourself. I thank God today that Jesus took our place. When we were so undeserving. You think about Barabbas, 
so undeserving that someone so sinless, so harmless should take his place. But listen, friend, that's why there's hope today. Because he overcame death and rose again and is able to save anybody that would come to him by faith and empower any that know him to live for him and not give in to the pressures of sin. Would you stand together here this morning? You can't evade the most important decision of your life. And maybe even right now that the Spirit of God has used His Word to speak to you and to show you that you need to trust Him as your Savior. It may be that you're here today and you're saved, but there are influences in your life that you've allowed to pressure you and you've given in and not doing the right thing. Would you come here this morning and bow before the Lord? If you're here today and you're not saved, I encourage you to come and, uh, and to trust Christ as your Savior. There are people here that would meet you and take the Bible and show you from God's Word how you can know for sure that you're saved. Father in heaven, I pray today that you'd help. Lord, you know the pressures that are there and Lord, the apprehension that might be in the heart of some. But I pray that God, they would not try to any longer evade or escape the biggest decision of their life, what they would do with the Lord Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.